Welcome to Viewpoints with Brenda. I'm your host, Brenda Ntambirwechi, and on this podcast, you'll hear plenty of conversations with African professionals, change makers, innovators, influencers, and entrepreneurs from all sectors. There is an undeniable gender gap in the workplace. Research shows that women in particular are underrepresented at every level, and women of color are the most underrepresented group of all, lagging behind white men, men of color, and white women. Women are also less likely to be hired into entry-level jobs than men, and as employees move up the corporate ladder, the disparity increases with fewer women being promoted to high-level roles compared to every 100 men. The solution to this gender gap seems quite simple, a commitment to gender diversity and inclusion and intentional actions on the part of organizations to enlist women in the workforce at all levels. Joining me to discuss the gender gap and diversity and inclusion is Florence Katsime, a global communications and diversity and inclusion strategist pushing for equitable spaces in organizations. She has a global and diverse background, working with several organizations to create equitable and inclusive spaces, and is passionate about building strong, diverse organizations to ensure that those with varied cultural backgrounds are more easily noticed, recognized, appreciated, and promoted. Flora has held roles with nonprofits and the private sector, and has had considerable success in shaping policies and initiatives that drive engagement and advance organizational transformation. So Flora, welcome welcome to the podcast and tell us about you, a little more about you, your background and how you started this journey as an advocate for diversity and inclusion. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here. So like you said, I am a communications and diversity and equity and inclusion strategist. I was born and raised in Uganda and until eight years ago, I lived in Uganda and then decided to pack my life in a bag and move to New York City with a goal to pursue my master's. And I ended up doing that. I went to Columbia University, which I graduated and I was very proud of that. If you're wondering how I got into this, right before grad school, I was very excited about having gone to one of the best schools in the world. And I was starting to look at opportunities and I was thinking, I just graduated from the best school in the world. This should allow me to catapult me through the roof to get anything that I wanted as far as my career was concerned. And that increasingly became difficult and I became more and more aware of the challenges that we face as women of color, as people of color, as a black immigrant woman. I started to realize very quickly what those challenges would look like. And even though I had graduated with a master's in communications and I thought that I wanted to go and work for a Fortune 500 company, I was now getting pulled in the direction of starting to sort of hold space and work in a space that allows me to help people that are working through the challenges of being seen or being recognized and given opportunities. And also I started to realize that those organizations that I wanted to join had a challenge of hiring diverse people like myself. So I was thinking, okay, I need to get into this space. I need to get into rooms and talk to leadership of companies and organizations about how to hire more diverse people, how to be more inclusive and create equity. And that's how I got into this work. In this journey that you've been on in your career, what have you found to be the biggest barriers to diversity and inclusion in the workspace? One of the biggest ones, which is probably at the top, is the lack of diversity in leadership in a lot of organizations. If you have an organization that has 
the leadership looking a certain way. And what I mean by that is if we have leaders at a company and they're all white men, chances are when they're making decisions, they're making them from a place of understanding what their reality is. For example, there's a very interesting statistic that I keep going back to where only 8% of the Fortune 500 companies are led by women and only three of those women are women of color. So if you think about that, if we're trying to get more women in these organizations, how are we going to get them in there if the people at the top that are making decisions don't look like them or know their experiences? It is almost impossible to make a case for diversity or inclusiveness if the top cannot relate, since a lot of decisions like hiring are okayed by the top. So I always think we need leadership to change. We need more diverse leadership. We need executive boards to look a different way than what we see on websites when you see all white men. If that starts to change, I think we can overcome that barrier of lacking diversity and inclusion in a lot of organizations. So when hiring, in your view, how should organizations approach interviews and candidates to maintain a culture of diversity and inclusion? I think a lot of organizations tend to have sort of the same hiring processes. And if you're sticking to the same hiring processes that have led to your organization looking a certain way in terms of lacking of diversity, then those things have to change. So for me, I always look at it like if you're going to hire, you need to start focusing on using different channels to source talent. For example, it is very common practice in the U.S. to use referral processes to hire. So if I'm in an organization and there's a job that's been posted, some people that know me know that I work for that company will reach out to me and they will ask for a referral and I will refer them to the hiring manager. Now, if I'm a white man and most of my friends are white men, that's who's probably going to reach out to me and that's who I will refer. So that needs to change. It can change by doing things like using platforms like LinkedIn, for example. We can rely on DEI-focused recruiters to find more diverse candidates. And I think just using multiple channels instead of using like the one thing that we've always done that could help to create more diverse and inclusive organizations. And interview processes also, if you're interviewing candidates and there's an interview panel that is not diverse at all, then that creates a challenge because if I'm a black woman sitting in front of a panel of all white men, there's a possibility that there's bias as they interview me and the chances of me getting a job versus them giving it to a white man or woman are higher. So having interview processes are sort of like balanced out in a way that they wouldn't be biased would be a very helpful thing. Do you have any recommendations for organizations to ensure that diversity and inclusion is embedded in company culture? We have to really start to look at what we mean, for example, when we say we want candidates that are culture fits for our organization. What does the culture in the organization that you're trying to bring people into look like? Is it a toxic work environment? If you're bringing people into spaces that are not built for them culturally, then I always say you're bringing them into a toxic work environment. So you have to start to examine your culture and really ask yourself, when I bring, for example, people of color into this space, is this space built for them? And then if it's not, you have to start to find ways to shift the culture that it's more embracing of people that are different. That's one way to do it. And the other way is to always encourage, obviously, active participation of employees. If you have marginalized groups and they don't feel like they can speak up, you can bring all the diversity into an organization. We've had about companies hiring diverse 
people and then these people get into these organizations and they they sit in rooms and they're not really allowed to speak up and now we're talking about inclusion like these people are in your space but are they included if organizations with leadership really wants to change the culture of organizations they have to start to bring in these people and then encourage these people to speak up because now these people are feeling included and i think that in a way can start to shift the cultures of a lot of organizations in a way sort of like walk the talk if you say you're diverse and inclusive be that be about it don't hide under corporate statements or pictures that we see on websites don't hide behind those like be on the lookout where you can improve as a company that's always something good so when it comes to women in particular and career advancement in a corporate environment for instance what are some of the strategies you would think of to increase diversity in leadership roles when it comes to women i think we have to think of why it's difficult for women to get into for example leadership roles what are the impediments what are the things that women are up against most of the times women are picking at their careers at an age where they're also either mothers already or trying to become mothers so there are challenges there so if we want to see more women in leadership roles we have to start to work around revamping policies for example creating flexibility for women that are mothers or women that are planning to become mothers having modified working hours offering competitive maternity leave policies enforcing equal pay that's such a big thing if organizations can start to do those things then we'll certainly start to see more women in leadership roles and then also it would be really really a great thing if companies can mentor women because if you want to see people in leadership roles that are not you have to encourage them to take up space the same amount of space that men are taking up for example you have to promote them as much as you promote men there's so many things that organizations can do there's this idea of reverse mentoring where leaders are paired with high potential employees to allow those employees to learn that's one way to sort of like advance women and make sure that they get up to positions of leadership and i always think about a 2020 mckinsey report that reveals that for every 100 men promoted to manager only 85 women are promoted and only 58 of those women are black women women always remain outnumbered and the famous saying that men get promoted on potential and women on performance it's like if we don't start to sort of like level the field as far as how we advance men and women we won't see change but if we change that then we'll start to see more women in positions of power as far as work yeah i like what you said about i think a lot of us women in the in you know in <laughs> in the workspaces face this mm-hmm. about you know men being promoted on potential and us mm-hmm. having to really work like triply hard but <laughs> you know, exactly. i really hope like at some point this will change mm-hmm. on a personal level these attitudes are usually born out of unconscious bias so mm-hmm. How can people just become a little bit more aware of their own biases and sort of change them? And that's the game. It's unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. So the game is to become conscious of that bias. And it's such a pervasive and it's mostly a universal thing. But the unfortunate thing is that if it stays unconscious, then it translates into behaviors that can be subtle but have a big impact as far as like fairness and inclusiveness. So it's we have to really work to get to a place where we are aware of our biases we have to look inside review what our internalized conversations about certain groups of people are what beliefs do we hold about those groups of people how does that affect how we relate to them in the workplace if workplaces can encourage people to do this work then we can start to see a shift as far as biases i mean biases is such an interesting thing because 
when it's unconscious, this is how you hear of things like microaggressions at work and all of those little things that happen. If you have like a certain microaggressive behavior towards, I don't know, a black woman, for example, you suddenly throw comments at her hair or the way she's dressed, but you think it's like a joke, it's a microaggression. And if you're not aware of how that's translating or occurring for the other person, that's like a serious thing. But how do you get to know that that's like a serious problem? by going inside and like looking at how you view black hair, for example. Essentially, everybody needs to educate themselves, work on rewiring their brain, learning how to interact with people that are different. Yeah. So I want to pivot to my favorite topic whenever I'm talking to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when I met you a couple of years ago, this is something that I think stood out for me and which I think a lot of us Africans are sort of unaware of, especially because we don't experience it. So Mm. what has been your experience generally with being Black in America and particularly being Ugandan and living in the United States? It's been very eye-opening in good and bad ways. And the reason I say that is because moving to America woke me up to the reality of what it's like to exist in the world as a Black person. Because when we live in a bubble, which I now call a bubble, I didn't know that it was when I lived in Uganda, It's this bubble of of blackness. You don't even know that you're black. Before I moved to America, I was never black. I'm sure you can relate. We were not called black back home. You're you're your name, you're your tribe, you're certain things before you're the color of your skin. And so for me, I wasn't aware of what it means to be black. And even when I moved here two, three years later, I was still struggling when someone gave me like a form to fill in. They said, pick your race. And and I had to, there was only one. And I was like, why isn't there like African from the continent? Something like that. I was always confused about this idea of blackness. But then I learned very quickly that I needed to sort of give myself a crash course in blackness because here it's more than just, you literally are your skin color and everything else is secondary to that. And it was such a huge challenge because I had to learn certain things I had to relearn and unlearn a lot of things as far as what I knew myself to be. I'm in this process of becoming, I'm still on this journey of becoming black and I talk about it all the time about the shock of settling into my skin color, something that I had never had to do before I moved here. And has your experience stepping into blackness, has it affected or impacted your outlook on your career and your advocacy work for equitable and inclusive spaces? 100%. And I mentioned it in the beginning that when I went to grad school at Columbia, I wanted to go off and work for a Fortune 500 company and become a top communications person. This is what I wanted to do. And I was very clear. It's why I went to an Ivy League school. And then slowly, I realized that the world that I live in now affects me, affects the opportunities that I can get, affects people that look like me. And so it started to shift my perspective on what I wanted to do for work. And absolutely, my experience of being black here and becoming black has definitely led me to sort of pivot and start to focus on work that allows me to hold space and be in places where I can sort of raise my voice and encourage leadership or people in organizations or really anywhere to hire people that look like me, to give opportunities to people that look like me. I've increasingly become very passionate about speaking up against situations that don't give us opportunity. It's like, I have to do this now because it can't be any other way. I'm like, how can I just be sitting in an organization comfortably knowing that out there there's work that I could be doing to advance 
my people knowing exactly that we don't have as much opportunity because of the color of our skin we're literally defined by this thing so how can we in a way use it how can i use my platform to create opportunities in places that wouldn't allow me to have opportunity or my people that look like me to have opportunity because of having this much melanin <laughs> so to speak you know <laughs> Well, honestly, I think like what you're doing is amazing. And these equitable spaces that you're advocating for will require a culture transformation, which means change. And humans naturally resist change, but, you know, mm-hmm. change is necessary. So, yeah. yeah. So thank you for coming on to the podcast, Flora, and for, you know, sharing all these invaluable gems. Your advocacy work is very, very important and it's very appreciated. Thanks for having me. I'm hoping that uh, this conversation can shift to the African continent. I know that it wouldn't look the same as far as the conversations around diversity, equity and inclusion look on the continent, but this is definitely a conversation that needs to start happening in spaces on the continent. I'm hoping that I can take my work from here to back home and start to work with organizations and leaders to enact change as far as diversity, equity and inclusion is concerned. Thank you so much, Flora. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Viewpoints with Brenda. To keep the conversation going, follow us on Instagram at Viewpoints by BN and follow me on Twitter at Kasabiti. That's K-A-S-A-B-I-I-T-I. To hear more conversations like this, follow the podcast, subscribe, like, and feel free to leave us a rating. See you next time. Music